1: Anxieties are hitting epidemic levels in the United States. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 40 million American adults suffer from an anxiety disorder every year. Today's guest, Dr. Robert London, offers a therapy that he says helps overcome anxiety as well as phobias, PTSD, and insomnia with less or no medications and far less therapy sessions. His three-step method is designed to empower people to help themselves. Dr. London is a psychiatrist, educator, and writer. He is founder and former head of the Short-Term Psychotherapy Unit at NYN Langone's Medical Center. Dr. London's new book is Find Freedom Fast, Short-Term Therapy That Works. Welcome, Dr. London. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Thank you very much.
1: So, Dr., anxieties are hitting epidemic levels. Why do you believe that this is the case?
2: Well, I think we live in a very complicated society. Uh, Sometimes uh, social issues can get you anxious. There are family issues growing up that can create anxiety. And then when you get faced with uh, an anxiety-provoking situation, it can be even worse. I think there's some hereditary connection to anxiety. And when you put it all together, we're faced with a lot of complicated issues and there's a lot of instability, whether it's a social instability, a family instability, work instability. And um, it percolates up and it causes all kinds of difficulties for people in, in terms of their functioning. And for some people who are motivated for change, change is a very elusive concept um, to try and move from one attitude or one concept of change to another. Uh, They can benefit from short-term treatment strategies that, uh, although not for everybody, for for far more people could focus on what specifically is causing their anxiety, and they can try and move to get a new perspective on the old set of problems. And if they're motivated and thoughtful enough uh, to get a new perspective on the old set of problems, sometimes the anxiety can be... Uh, controlled or even removed,
3: doctor. Let's
1: talk a little bit about your three-step approach that empowers people. The first thing that you say we must do is to focus on the problem. What does that mean?
2: Well, I think you, you have a specific anxiety problem or a phobic problem, and you um, try and I use the learning philosophize and action technique. It's my spin. On CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. And you try and learn how you arrived at this anxiety or phobic situation. And then, if you try and learn about it, you try and philosophize a little bit on how it's affected all your life and kind of moved in so many different areas. And it may have basically held you back. And you need to make some change. And then you go into an action mode. And remember a, a man who was terribly anxious and phobic about dogs and he was just fine he was crossing the street if he saw someone walking a dog um but then he was going to visit an old college roommate uh for a a weekend away and discovered this college roommate had the dog so he was terrified how was he going to he's kind of caught between these two problems he wants to go see this friend of his on the other hand um has got a dog so he came in to to cope with the phobia and to cope with the anxiety that was built up in him and we went through um, a, a, a strategy where we talked about, let's buy a good dog book. We talked about how he learned about this. His mother and his grandmother, who he grew up with, basically did not like dogs. Uh, now, that's, that was their choice. However, it turned out with him that he took it a step further, maybe more than one step further, and became phobic of dogs. So um, – The mother and the grandmother were not bad. They brought him up well. He was well-educated. He was treated well. Uh, So he had no desire, nor did I, for him to be angry at them. But the point is, this is how he philosophized it. And here it was affecting his life where he couldn't go visit his friend. So we got got him to buy some dog books. He was very anxious looking at these pictures. For me, they were beautiful pictures of different uh, dog breeds. And um, he sort of, over a period of a week or 10 days or two weeks, he got comfortable turning the pages of the book. Then we worked on a situation where he knew someone, knew a few people actually, who had dogs. And he picked one who he really trusted, a neighbor and a friend. And we had him desensitize himself from the dog. And how do you do this? And this is critical. Because there's so much trust in the friend, you have the friend take the dog out on a leash. And he would approach the dog at his pace. Never would the dog approach him. And this is a very crucial thing. So there's no fear of anything unexpected. He is in total control of this desensitization process. And over a period of a number of weeks, he moved closer and closer to the dog with a trusted friend. And eventually he patted the dog. I would say he was probably 85 to 90 percent cured of this issue. And the end result was he ended up visiting up his friend. He had motivation. This was a key kind of thing. He really wanted to get beyond this. He knew how it worked. He learned how it worked. He philosophized about it. And he went into the world of action using learning, philosophizing and action. And this is um, how it works. There's another, uh, uh, there are many situations. Uh, what comes to mind, I, I think of uh, many times women who get pregnant uh, do not have an easy time in the workplace. Uh, I remember one particular person who was a hostess in a restaurant. And there were other people who would love her job. She was pregnant with her first baby and she needed to take off. She was really worried she would not have a job because the job wasn't a tenure job. She didn't have much job security, even though she had been being the hostess in a very busy restaurant for a number of years. So with her, we t- I gave, taught her some relax- relaxation exercises to relax her anxiety, to calm down and just focus on the baby because the anxiety, not only was disturbing her, uh, what's going on in her body is going to cross into the fetus and then the fetus could end up having anxiety issues down the road. So basically she did relax. Um, she did calm down and focus on how much joy she would have. She changed her attitude. She changed her perspective on how much joy she would have in the new child. Uh, Incidentally, with no help from me, she went out to dinner one night at a restaurant with her husband, and um, the people knew her from where she had worked, and she was offered a better job when she came back to work, which she ended up taking. The outcome was really very good. Uh, I think of another woman who was a partner in a very strong, powerful law firm, and um, she was totally uh, anxiety-ridden because of the negativity coming from the male partners even though these male partners uh, had families and had kids that they'd have to pick up her work when she was out for either 12, 16 or 20 weeks after she gave birth. And even though she's like super bright, super educated, an attorney, the anxiety was overwhelming. Uh, and she was now thinking that, Maybe uh, she was abandoning her career, she was abandoning these people, men, and um, we treated that anxiety with a lot of relaxation exercises, had to imagine a great big movie screen, seeing pleasant experiences on that screen, and get a new perspective on things that before she had the baby, start to focus on some of the men who were incredibly supportive in that law firm. And it's interesting, we had this super intelligent person, this super educated person, and she didn't quite think about that. That opened up a whole new perspective because she found men in the place who thought it was great that she was gonna have her first child. And that experience through short-term treatment strategies, through short-term therapy, uh, changed everything.
1: So doctor, through the examples that you just provided, we can see your process, which is focus on the problem, challenge the thinking that led to the problem and then to replace the old behaviors and habits with new ones. When we're in that state of anxiety and we're anxious about whatever the type of situations you just described, we tend to think that undoing the old emotional patterns is impossible. Why do we feel that way? Why do we think we can't do it?
2: I think that's a great question. Uh, I think it's a really great question. Um, I think we get wired into something that's repetitive. We haven't elucidated brain chemistry and uh, the neurological connections very well. We're still working at understanding it, but the best way to look at it is how we get wired through chemistry and neurological connections to think a certain way. And that becomes circuitous in that it keeps reoccurring and reoccurring and we cannot shake it. However, the whole idea of finding a, a route To alter that works, and if you can find that route and it starts working for you eight or nine or ten times, it can become part of your behavior. One of the things I like to do, to be more specific, is I would teach someone how to go into a relaxed state. And in a relaxed, and that's easy, about 80% of the population can do that. Some people will call, will say they get relaxation when they do yoga. Some call it meditation, some call it hypnosis. We we now have a new word out there called mindfulness. I think all these things are very, very similar uh, with different ceremonies to um, develop the same concept. So I would teach someone how to do this. It takes three to four to five minutes. It doesn't take 20 visits. Uh, If you have that capacity to shift gears and people, many people do, Um, we see athletes, we see uh, uh, Hollywood stars go assume a role. Athletes can do enormous feats when they get into what we used to call in the 80s and 90s, the zone. And then I have someone look at a great screen, and sometimes I have them put a thick line right down the center. And I'll say, look, you know, slowly put some of the things you're concerned about or the specific thing you're concerned about or two things you're concerned about on the left side of that screen. And this takes this could take an hour or an hour and a half, Then I suggest looking at the blank side of the right screen um, and imagine a very, very pleasant experience anything you want it's none of my business what you're thinking about and what happens is as a person learns how to do this we practice and we practice and we get a a sort of like homework to do this five or six times a day before the next visit and this is this we go through this scenario the person learns how to relax because most often uh, anxiety is incompatible with, with feeling calm so what happens is the right side of the screen where you're projecting something very nice will actually overwhelm the left side of the screen with anxiety. It doesn't happen the first time. It doesn't happen so quickly on the second time. By the fifth or sixth time you're practicing this, you're actually able to see pleasantness much more easily, and um, the anxiety is incompatible. And this was shown many years ago in the late 40s by a great psychiatrist, Dr. Wolpe who showed that um, anxiety is incompatible with with the pleasantness. And that's one of the ways to get rid of it. And the new behavior becomes part and parcel of who you are. You sort of get a new set of wiring. Is it going to work for every single person? Probably not, but it, it certainly could work for a lot more people who are suffering from this kind of problem.
1: Doctor, can hypnotherapy help with mental health issues? And if so, why?
2: It can help with some issues. There are mental health issues that need medication management, and I'm fine with that. There are mental health issues that need long-term care, and I'm fine with that. Just like in any field of medicine, we have people who come in for a sore shoulder. They get the shoulder fixed. We have people come in for a sore shoulder, and if something else is ongoing, and they need longer-term care. There's a piece of, of dirt in someone's eye that comes out quickly, and there's a eye disease that needs ongoing follow-up, and the same thing in, in mental health with hypnosis hypnosis is is not magic it's not sleep it's focused concentration at the expense of the periphery and if someone is uh, in that relaxed hypnotic state um they can develop new thoughts and new ideas when you're in this relaxed state and focused you can get new ideas to can generate in your mind and you can supply new ideas for example in the smoking strategy uh, we we realized that A person needs respect and protection for their body. We link the respect and protection for the body, which is the vehicle that expresses your life, uh, with the smoking. So the person has a choice. Most people pick respect and protection for their body as opposed to smoking, and it was a good strategy. Is it for everybody? No. But it certainly works for some people who are motivated and want to find a short-term solution uh, to the problem. So the, the hypnotic model works. It works for teaching uh, strategies for um, insomnia. And uh, many people find it very successful the American Academy of Physicians, which takes in all the primary care doctors um, in the country, said in 2017 in, in a notice that cognitive behavior therapy uh, is the first choice for, for treating insomnia as opposed to running to the pills right away. So basically um, I'm offering an idea of short term strategies, just like um, anybody in the medical field would go for something short term first if they can fix it and then go to long term as a secondary approach. And in some cases, of course, medications are, are definitely needed. So um, I hope I've explained the hypnosis to you, but it's, it's not um, hocus pocus. It's not magic. And it seems to me and from people who've studied this for 200 years, that when, for example, uh, uh, an athlete uh, jumps five feet in the air and they're in the zone, they're almost in that trance-like state. Sometimes when a student is studying for an exam and they don't hear the doorbell ring, they're almost in that relaxed trance-like hypnotic state. So now we can use this human capacity to teach people how to how to get rid of certain problems but hypnosis per se hypnotherapy per se it's a nice word but it needs to be connected to a strategy and like i say there was the strategy of a smoking cessation Uh, we can use this strategy for anxiety where i discussed previously having someone in a relaxed or hypnotic state and using a split screen to um the anxiety on one side and you do this very slowly because you don't want to make someone anxious while you're doing the process you start off with very simple things and then uh, linking it to pleasant experiences and that's all part of focus concentration which is what hypnosis actually is and it does work and of course it works even better when you teach someone how to do it because basically it's not the operator doing it it's the person's own capacity And I think it's always important to know with the hypnosis model, it's a person's capacity to shift gears.
1: Doctor, with the understanding that there is a time and and certain conditions that require medication without a doubt, do you think that we are over-medicating people? It, It seems like that is the first line of treatment when there are so many other things that can be explored.
2: My experience is there's too much uh, over medication in, in the mental health field. Doesn't mean anyone should stop taking what they need, but there's, um, it seems to be that much of um, the, the, the psych uh, care has gotten to, into shorter visits, uh, 15, 20 minute visits. And there's a lot of mixing and matching of medication and the use of medication for its side effects as opposed uh, to the actual reason the medication is there and uh, just in my experience over 40 years um, and even especially in the last 10 or 15 years there is uh, too much medication being used and it needs to be thought out more clearly in terms of what works and sometimes what happens is someone is taking one or two medications they're not working so a third one is added and sometimes a fourth medication is added and number one and number two, which hasn't worked, hasn't been taken down, hasn't been taken away. So now we have we have two that have shown they don't work. We've added two more, and there's four. And, of course, then you have the problem of potential side effects. And then you have the problem of someone goes to another specialty and gets another set of medications from their primary care doctor or whoever they're going to go see. And, uh, yes, indeed, there is... Um, an overuse of medication without question Uh, medications work they're life-saving whether they're for infectious disease or whether they're for diabetes or high blood pressure or um, mental health reasons certainly the 50s and the 60s and the 70s uh, in the world in the world of mental health have produced some very good medications that are life-saving but your point is very well taken There is. overuse of medications today
1: the book is find freedom fast short-term therapy that works if you'd like to get more information about the book or dr london and his work you can visit the websites findfreedomfast.com or drrobertlondon.com that's dr drrobertlondon.com Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and for explaining ways that we can empower ourselves to combat certain mental health issues. This is important, life-changing information, so thank you for spending time with us.
2: Thank you very much for the time. Your questions were great, so you made me think, and I hope I gave you some good answers.
1: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
4: Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner Elmina Ziza at 973 722-1154 722 Calm, vitality, mindfulness We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets New York Open Center offers courses, trainings and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs Find your center at 30th and Madison.
1: Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Discuss breast cancer is Kelly Nagel, the executive director of Susan G. Komen North Jersey. Kelly brings more than a decade of nonprofit and development experience to the job, as well as a passion for finding the cures for breast cancer. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So, Kelly, breast cancer does not discriminate. How prevalent is breast cancer in the United States?
5: Right now one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime which is a scary number Uh, but the good news is that there are more than 3.5 million breast cancer survivors living in the US Um, so that's the great news and we're continuing to make progress and we want more people to be surviving this disease. Um, But in 2019 it's estimated that over 268,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer are expected to be diagnosed in women in the U.S. So that means every two minutes a woman in this country is diagnosed and unfortunately we will expect about 42,000 women uh, to lose their life to this disease this year. Um, breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer among women um, and it is the leading cause of cancer deaths for Latina women. Um, so We're here today and every day to help those diagnosed with breast cancer but also to raise awareness for what risks exist and and how we can work to lower our risks. Kelly, is this number on the rise? The number is uh, predicted to be a little bit higher in 2019 than in 2018 but the good news is that fewer people are dying from breast cancer, the Mm -hmm. breast cancer death rates have actually declined 40% between 1989 and 2016 among women and we attribute this progress to improvements in early detection, in research, increased screening and new and improved treatments that have saved lives and improved women's quality of life when they are confronted with a breast cancer diagnosis. Kelly, there's
1: a a new television show that premiered this season called A Million Little Things, and in it, they spotlight breast cancer, but in particular, one of the main characters, who is a man, was battling breast cancer. How about the statistics for men? Is that number on the rise, and are more men being screened for and, and taking an active role in their
5: health? So the numbers have risen slightly since last year. Uh, Over 2,600 men are expected to be diagnosed in the U.S. this year and 500 will die from the disease. Um, So the incidence has gone up. It used to be that men's risk was one in 1,000. It's now one in 883. Um, So it is an important conversation and uh, something that we want to continue to raise awareness about for men to be aware of their breasts and any changes in their breath. Um, Typically though, men are not as aware um, and this could potentially increase their risks for death because it would be diagnosed at a later stage. Um, But men account for only 1% of the diagnoses, um, but still something to be vigilant about and to continue a conversation about and it's great that it's in the forefront of conversation so more men can be aware.
1: So you just mentioned that we should be mindful of changes that are taking place in our breast. What are the warning signs of breast cancer?
5: So there are a few warning signs um, to look at. Um, One of the the biggest... Indicators is changes in the look or feel of the breast or nipple, if there's nipple discharge. Um, Some of the other indicators could be a lump, a hard knot, or a thickening inside the breast or in the underarm area, if you notice swelling, warmth, redness, or darkening of the breast, any changes in the size or shape of your breast, dimpling or puckering of the skin, or itchy, scaly sores um, or rashes of the nipple. Um, these would uh, be the same in both men and women, although sometimes in men, it's easier to notice a lump because there's less breast tissue. Regardless, if there is any indication of a change in the look or feel of the breast, we advise women and men to see their health care providers and talk to them about any following next steps. Kelly, how important
1: is a self-examination?
5: So, Breast self exam is a step by step approach a woman can use to look at and feel her breast to check if anything is abnormal. Um, however, it's not something that we recommend as a screening tool for breast cancer. What we recommend is knowing what's normal for you, looking to see if or feel if there are any changes, and then talking to your doctor if any changes happen um, and determining what next steps for them. Kelly,
1: is breast cancer preventable? What, what are some things that we can be doing to lower the risk?
5: Mm-hmm. Um, we do know that only 15% of breast cancer diagnoses uh, are with women who have a family history. So it is important for every woman to be vigilant. Uh, and what we recommend is to live a healthy lifestyle Um, to know what's normal for you, to get screened, which again, talk to your provider about when and how frequently to do that, and to know your risks. And that includes your family history on both sides of your family. And you can take those steps to lower your risk as much as possible.
1: Tell us about Susan G. Komen. What is the mission of the organization?
5: Our mission is to save lives by meeting the most critical needs in our communities and investing in breakthrough research to prevent and cure breast cancer. Um, And locally in North Jersey, we work to raise money so we can fund local community grants that are providing screening and diagnostic services, breast health and breast cancer education, treatment support patient navigation, and survivorship programs for the underserved women in the counties that we cover. And also importantly, we work as well as the entire affiliate network of Susan G. Komen to raise funds for research so we can continue to provide our incredible Komen scholars with the dollars they need to look for new treatments and ultimately the cures for breast cancer, new screening techniques, and and other vital research to ending breast cancer forever.
1: Kelly, next Sunday, May 5th, is the North Jersey Race for the Cure. Tell us about this event.
5: This is our marquee, most well-known event that we do. Race for the Cure is in its 12th year in North Jersey. This is the third year we will be doing it at Liberty State Park in Jersey City, which is a spectacular location right under the skyline of Lower Manhattan. Our race day is a very family-friendly event for everyone because we have both a 5K walk and an official timed 5K run. We have a wellness village where our participants can get tons of information and giveaways from our local partners. We have a Kids for the Cure program, and most importantly, we have a beautiful survivor and Forever Fighter celebration, a procession, and a really special tent for them right at our start line. Uh, So it's going to be a really exciting event. And the registration opens at eight o'clock that morning. Our Survivor Celebration begins at 9.30, and then Race for the Cure, the walk and the run portion, steps off at 10 o'clock.
1: And I'm honored to be a part of that event as a Special Ambassador, and we have our own team, and it's the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life team. And if you would like to join our team or make a donation to our team to help support the cause, you can visit our website, CYA dot CYL.com slash Komen. Kelly, where can our listeners get more information about Komen and breast cancer?
5: We have a website that's local to North Jersey. It's KomenNorthJersey.org. You can also visit our national organization's website at Komen.org. Um, those are the best ways to get in touch with us.
1: Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. You are doing such important work. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. With Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Many people believe that if they don't have a management title, they can't influence outcomes or other people. They think it's not their responsibility to make anything better. Today's guest, Angie Morgan, believes that leaders can be found at any level of an organization and that anyone can affect change if he or she commits to it. Angie is a military veteran turned leadership expert who teaches that leadership is not about authority or titles. It's about influencing people and outcomes. She's the founder of Lead Star and served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps.
6: Welcome, Angie. Thank
1: you so much for joining us.
6: Joan, thank you so much for having me. I love the concept of your program.
1: Well, thank you for that. And, and I'm so happy that you're here because with your training, you served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. And with that training, I think you bring so much to this topic. So tell us a little bit about your military service.
6: Well, I uh, decided during college when I was a freshman at the University of Michigan to enroll in ROTC, and I knew that I was getting myself into an intense physical experience but I didn't recognize or appreciate at that time in my life how much I was going to change. And it wasn't just physically to meet the rigors of Marine Corps training, but it was just to your point of your program. I really changed my attitude and perspective about my own capabilities as a leader. Going into the Marine Corps, I, I would have thought leadership was about a job title or that person in charge is the leader. But the Marine Corps, my military experience, helped nurture these thoughts that leadership is really more about behavior. And there are behaviors that anyone can demonstrate to be more influential in their life. I mean, I think about leadership, it's about doing two things well, influencing outcomes and inspiring others. And so it's kind of funny that this military experience enhanced every single role in my life in many important ways.
1: You know, Angie, I think that there are many people who currently hold a leadership position that are really not leaders. They lack credibility in that position. So how does someone go about becoming credible, actually growing into the role?
6: It's great that you say that because I think you're pointing out, Joan, that there's a disconnect in our society between what true leadership is. Many people do think it's about positional authority, but if you've ever worked for a bad boss, you recognize, no, Mm -hmm. no, no. Manager and leader are two different things, and it's best summed up as you manage things, you lead people. And credibility is one of those most important skills that any leader needs to develop to gain influence over others because credibility forms that foundation of trust. And for those seeking to build their credibility, in our book, Spark, we write about four keys to building credibility. But if I could call out one that I think is most important, it's by making sure You know, what you say, you actually do. We have this concept called the say do gap, the space between your actions and words. And if it's very, very small, you're likely credible with other people. So for leaders, you have to guard your credibility with your life and just be very consistent with doing the things that you commit to actually doing.
1: Going along with what you just said, that disconnect, do you think that sometimes that comes from the, the, the fact that people don't really know what they stand for? And then you have that disconnect between a value and an action. So how important is it to have a clear understanding of who you are and what you believe? I mean, I think that's probably why the Marines are you know it's so successful in your training, because you're there with a belief that's congruent with the action that you're taking.
6: Great point. And we also write a lot about character. You know, your character is the manifestation of your values. So how well do you know your values? And how much are they expressed in your life? There's a concept called the Galady effect. And really, it's more about self-fulfilling prophecies. If you know what your values are and they're top of mind, you're more likely to live them. But if you don't know your values, um, you can find yourself acting inconsistent with how you actually want to show up in all your relationships and other people, you know, we may have a hard time paying attention or noticing when, when those disconnects happen. But other people are watching and you can lose your influence quite quickly when they start to pinpoint, Ah, oh, you know what? You're not who you really say you are. It's like that manager who says, you know, I value family, work-life balance, yet they, you know, email you off throughout the weekend, mm-hmm. you know, interrupting your personal time. And so it really goes back to character. Are you who you say you are?
1: Once a person gets into that leadership position, and I'm sure you see this all the time, that person now believes that nothing is ever his or her fault. They always have someone below them to hide behind. it. And I, you know, when I see that, I lose so much respect for a person because I think a good leader needs to be accountable.
6: And I agree incredibly so. Well, one of the great things about the Marine Corps is they always have sayings to help you govern your behavior. One of the most important things I learned as a young Marine officer, which I now carry with me in every role I fill, is that you're responsible for all your team does and all your team fails to do. Simple expression, but it's really important. I mean, no excuses, total accountability. So if, you know, your team member doesn't get you know, a project complete or misses a deadline. As a leader, you know, it's so easy to point the finger, to pass blame, but you have to stop yourself and really overcome some of those, you know, those responses that are just natural with human nature, you know, placing blame. You just kind of have to stop yourself and think, whoa, if you weren't successful, how did I contribute to that failure? And, And Angie, sometimes
1: people are thrust into a leadership role or they may be wanting to obtain a leadership role, but they allow this self-doubt and fear to get in the way. So what are some strategies you offer to help someone build his or her confidence? Confidence,
6: if you really think about it, um, it, it connects to nearly every single success or outcome that we experience. You know, our confidence level connects to the goals we pursue, is associated with the risks we tolerate or are willing to take. In Spark, we talk about four ways to build confidence. The one I think has had most impact over me is this concept of self-talk. Sounds kind of silly, right? Talking to yourself, but if you pay attention in those moments when your confidence is needed, so if you pay attention to that inner dialogue running through your mind, is it thinking you can or is it thinking you can't? Because surprisingly in research shows that whether you think you can or can't, as Henry Ford said, you're right. And so what are your own beliefs about your abilities when you're faced with pressure, stress, and need your confidence? Are you doubting or are you promoting yourself? And again, that's gonna connect to the outcome that you experience.
1: Angie, how do companies benefit by investing in their leaders?
6: Most of the businesses that we work with Um, have been very successful, Um, you know, streamlining their processes, gaining greater efficiencies, you know, really focusing on their strategies and, you know, really getting the management aspects of the business down. But what often is overlooked is tapping into the potential of every single individual on their team. Every employee carries around with them what I like to think of as discretionary effort, the effort that they could give if they were truly motivated and inspired and that discretionary effort for small businesses can result in tens of thousands even millions of dollars in revenue for that business and for larger organizations we're probably talking billions so we work with mostly you know businesses at any stage of growth you know small medium or large but we help them design programs that allow them to tap into the human capital potential within the organization. Angie, are there
1: any other strategies that you want to offer our listeners?
6: Absolutely. I think, you know, wherever you are on your leadership development journey, the most important thing you need to recognize is that leadership is a choice, so you choose to lead, it's not a birthright, it's actually behavior that you can opt into once you develop those behaviors. And no one can make you a leader. You have to make yourself a leader. And through the process, you know, we conclude concluded Spark with talking about the critical um, behavior of consistency. As long as you continuously focus on your own development, continuously improve, be consistent with your efforts, you'll grow and develop your abilities to lead. And with that comes opportunities for you to inspire greater success, not just in your life, but in the lives of others.
1: The book is Spark, How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success. If you would like to get more information about Angie, her work, or Spark, you can visit her website, leadstar.us. Angie, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with?
6: Well, I think one of the most important things about our work is that wherever you are in life, you still have so much growth and development. So wherever you see yourself five years from now, I really hope that you can Move yourself up a few more notches. We undersell our opportunities for growth and development, sometimes to our disadvantage. We all have the power to do amazing things. It starts to your um, your program's name, starts with attitude, and it's followed with will and commitment. And so my um, to your listeners with your program, just really you know, raise, raise your expectations for yourself and surprise yourself with the amazing things that you can do.
1: Angie, thank you so much for being here with us. And for the reminder that anyone can be a leader in any role, whether at work or in life. So it was really a pleasure having you here and much success with your
6: book. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Joan. We'll be right back.
4: How can you tap into your intuition? Do you ever have an inner call to do something or sense a certain direction you should take? We humans know a lot more and are capable of being a lot more than we generally imagine. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of Health Think Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex and confusing healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals that want to improve their health and well-being. Just as a medical intuitive can sense when something is off in a person's body, most of us know when things aren't right with our health. We know when something is missing or something is not right in our emotional, intellectual, and spiritual domains where physical health is concerned because our doctors or caregivers rarely ask us what we think is going on we aren't challenged to listen deeply within to offer some of the valuable clues that can be part of our healing process those who have a broad view of human possibilities will all affirm the same thing intuition can be nurtured and developed We can learn to see more, to feel more, to sense more, to know things about ourselves and the world we live in, things that would benefit us all. How do we develop intuition? Be open to the possibilities and watch for the arising of intuitive knowings. Allow yourself to wait time to let this knowledge emerge. Pray for guidance and help in knowing. Where health and well-being are concerned, you can tap into this special power and sense what is going on in your body. Listen, and you will hear. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. The topic of
7: abusive relationships is in the news, with headlines about famous men and the people they've charmed or coerced into having relationships with them. Hi, I'm Susan Greif, speaker, author, creative arts interpreter, and founder of Art Men's Hearts. I harness the power of creative expression to help clients release old, stuck energy that keeps them feeling panicked, powerless, paralyzed, and in pain. Sadly, abusers are incredibly skillful at creating the desired impression. So it's all too easy to be lulled into believing friendliness that seems a little odd is really okay. When an abuser is in charming, charismatic mode, the target of all their attention feels loved, adored, and lucky to be the center of their attention. Abuse comes in many forms. In adult relationships, once the abuser has succeeded in securing their target's trust, the charm often disappears and the abuser becomes manipulating in more frightening ways. They descend into dark, unpredictable moods, erupting in anger at the slightest mistake on the other's part. They may go from charming to angry to apologetic, contrite, and seemingly loving, only to return to moodiness. Their partners walk on eggshells, fearing another explosion. Then suddenly, they're loving and charming again, and the cycle continues. For more information, check out my website at artmanshearts.com.
8: When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want, and so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right or do we want a result, the result being we'd like to get along? Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching, and they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego, but egos don't Really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right, it's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to.
1: productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on-call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is Linda Mitchell a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with purpose passion and clarity to emerge more powerful fulfilled and purposeful Linda is here today to discuss the power of forgiveness welcome Linda thanks for joining us thanks Jonas. great to be back Linda, when we feel that someone has done us wrong or when someone hurts us, it's human nature to get and sometimes to stay very angry, especially when we feel we didn't deserve the treatment that we received. So how do we move past the anger and resentment to get to a
3: place of forgiveness? Well, you know what, Joan, that's so true. If someone harmed us or caused us great pain, sometimes it's really tough to forgive. And sometimes it feels like the last thing you want to do because you're so angry or hurt, especially if something traumatic happens. Forgiveness is really difficult. But here's the thing that I believe makes all the difference. You can forgive someone without excusing their bad behavior. Forgive forever. Excuse never. This simple phrase helps immensely. Holding on to grievances is a decision to stay in a state of suffering. Your pain holds you hostage. Holding a grudge means you're not allowing the pain to dissipate. It's almost impossible to hold on to injustices and feel peaceful. You can't hold on to anger and bitterness and feel true joy. You can't stay in the role of a victim and feel powerful. In many ways, these feelings are mutually exclusive, so it begs the question, which is most important? Which do I really want, need, and ultimately choose? If the injustice is fresh and raw, yes, we definitely need time to process the emotions before we can let it go. But when we hold on to a grievance for a really long time, the truth is it has a hold on us. We've given away our power. The grievance, memory, or individual who wronged us has power over us if the mere thought of it creates anxiety and turmoil in our lives. It can cause us to inject our hurt into other situations that may be unrelated, creating unnecessary messes and drama in our current lives, all because we're carrying an anvil of pain and suffering on our shoulders. No grievance, no matter how justified you are, is worth the pain, hate, and the anger you must carry with it forgive forever, excuse never.
1: Linda, it's been said that forgiveness is more of a gift that we give to ourselves than to the person who wounded us. Do you believe that statement to be true? And if you do, why? I do believe that's
5: true.
3: Forgiveness is a sure path to peace, healing, happiness, and freedom. Forgiving someone else brings you back to wholeness. Forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness, resentment, an unhealed past, and a difficult future. It's like releasing all your old baggage and watching it get washed out to sea. Forgiveness transforms fear to strength, pain to peace, and resentment to freedom. Forgiveness gives you back your power. For as long as you hold a grudge or resentment against someone, you're really holding yourself and your own happiness hostage. Forgiveness is a choice you make. For some, it's a slow process of letting go and for others, it's a decision that happens and like a switch, it's done. They say, you know what? I'm done carrying this burden. It's over. I choose to put the pain down to no longer carry it and to see if I can find a gift in the process and move on. Grievances hijack our emotions. Forgiveness on the other hand creates a path to peace and healing. There's an old saying. Staying angry is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's really harming you. If you're ruminating over the past or throwing hate bombs all day long, you're putting your own health at risk while the other person is off somewhere else, unaffected and unaware. Even if you're 100% right, if you hold onto the hurt and the pain, you cast yourself as a victim. And victims feel powerless. Grudges hold you back because they're like chains to your past. Forgiveness moves you forward ask yourself, would you rather focus on fear, revenge, guilt, hate, and anger, or would you rather look for and live from a place of freedom, peace, strength, and happiness? Forgiving someone else means you're choosing peace instead of pain in your own life. Can viewing forgiveness
1: from a different perspective make it easier to forgive someone who's hurt us?
3: Well, yeah. Sometimes it's helpful to see injustices as difficult experiences that Made you who you are now. Maybe you're stronger now, maybe more compassionate or empathetic or not judgmental. These are the hidden gifts if we choose to see them as such. Another idea that helps is this change the perspective from who's right and who's wrong to who's wounded and needs to heal. This way, the focus is less on pointing fingers and finding fault and more on helping each person recognize the other's pain, motives, maybe shame, fear, or judgment. And in doing so, you find understanding and allow yourself and perhaps even the other party to find freedom from the hurt. It sets the scene for new joy to come into your life. It allows miracles to manifest, grace to flow, and it begins the process of releasing the pain of the past. Linda, thank you so
1: much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, com slash Linda. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, Take part in the book club, check out our team and be sure to follow the show on social media Until next time, this is Joan Herman Thanks for tuning in